We're in a series on the kingdom of God called King Jesus. Has anybody been here and heard all two sermons so far? We are on week three. And um, this is a series you really don't want to miss because we're going to be unfolding some things that I promise you, I promise you is going to bless you. When I, when I think of, of, of church and how I, we, we lead, we want to be a blessing to you. And one of the things I've discovered, uh, we've had over 35 years a massive move of evangelism, which I'm grateful for. So many people at Oasis Church have encountered Jesus as their Savior. And when you encounter Jesus as your Savior, you're forgiven of your sins, you actually, the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross moves you out of this state of being a sinner to the state of being righteous. And this is what grace is all about. God calls you righteous when you believe before you have the chance to do righteous stuff. You're still on ratchetness and God says, I'm giving you my righteousness. And he gives it to you for free all because you believe. So what is knowing Jesus as your Savior about? It's about getting out of something, out of bondage, out of slavery, out of fear, out of shame, out of guilt, into relationship with God. But we got to be careful because if we don't acknowledge Jesus as our king, then we live our whole life only having gotten out of but never getting into the promises of God. See, when we talk about the kingdom, when Jesus talks about the kingdom in the Bible, he often, he often uses the word enter. He says things like, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. So the kingdom is something you enter into. I am grateful for what God has gotten me out of, but I'm telling you, in 2020, I want to get into something. Come on. And I, they used to mean something different where I grew up. But I want to get into something. I want to get into blessing. I want to get into favor. I want to get into the things of God. And I don't want to just worship Jesus as my Savior. He is also my King. And so you got to come to church every weekend you can. I mean, don't miss it because God's going to do something special. He told me to preach on the kingdom of God as long as until he told me to stop. So I got like 13 messages on the kingdom. No, I got 13 titles and one message. So after today, I'm fresh out. But the Lord is faithful. Somebody say amen. I want to preach to you a message called the king's clarity. The king's clarity. Anybody feeling confused? That's one of the number one prayer requests I get. Other than healing for sickness, I get prayer requests. Can you pray that God would give me clarity? And so many times I want to tell them, and when he gives it to you, can you come give me some? Because I, I, there's a lot of things I'm not clear on. The king's clarity. We're going to read from Acts chapter 26, verses 4 through 18. And Paul, who used to be Saul, Saul used to be against Christians, and now he's the leader of them. Isn't that interesting? And, and he's being arrested for what he used to arrest people for. Isn't that crazy? He used to arrest people who were preaching the name of Jesus, and now he's being arrested for preaching the name of Jesus. And he, he defends himself in this trial. And, and he says this in verse 4, as the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously, passionately worship God night and day. And they share the same hope I have. Yet your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I love that line right there. He is literally saying, 
Because they're complaining that he's talking about resurrection. He doesn't say all things about He says, why does it seem incredible that God can raise from the dead? He's literally saying to you and I, man, we shouldn't be so impressed and so shocked when God does something crazy. So many times we're surprised by a move of God. Didn't he tell you you were called? Didn't he tell you, you he would be faithful? Didn't he tell you he would provide? So when you get the check in the mail, don't go, go praise Jesus, I knew it. You see what I'm saying? Don't be so surprised when God comes through. That's who he is. And then he says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I punished them so severely in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Can you imagine a guy who did something like this and God having him write most of the New Testament? And you late to church and you think God can't use you? Why are we so hard on ourselves? This dude was arresting Christians and voting to have them killed. And God said, you know what, I I can use this guy. And now he could write the scriptures that we read like, why are you so hard on yourself? Insecurity is dangerous in this move of God. Insecurity is illegal in the kingdom because God can use anybody. And Paul says, one day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and and commission of the leading priests. And about noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you. To fight against my will. Jesus, he thought he was doing something to somebody else that he was doing to Jesus. Isn't that a sobering thing? That you could do something to another person and Jesus show up and say, hey, you didn't do that to them, you did it to me. He actually says in a more positive light in the New Testament, what you do for the little ones, you do for me. So when you bless someone, it blesses Jesus. And Paul responds, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith. In me. So here's Paul. He's sharing a story of, of, about what happened. But he left out a really important detail to me that I find quite odd. He's being a, arrested because he's preaching the name of Jesus and he's defending himself with the story of what happened when God showed up, Jesus showed up. And if you don't know this story, it takes place in Acts chapter 9. Paul is on a horse uh, on his way to persecute Christians. And, and right here we hear in the story that a light shined brighter than the sun, knocked him off his horse. And he was given a vi- vision of what he would do for God. He's using this story to tell people about what God did in his life. But he left out an interesting detail that I've been wrestling with all week. In Acts chapter 9, verse 7 through 12, this is in the middle of this encounter Paul has had with God that he's talking about in Acts chapter 26. He says, in this encounter, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. 
So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he was blind for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a believer there in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Wait a minute. He's in front of the trial, and he's recounting this move of God, and he leaves out the part where he was physically blind? I don't know. I mean, this is why I couldn't write the Bible. Because if God did me like that, y'all would know about it. <laughs> well, how would you tell that story? You know, I'm just up here trying to do what I thought God told me to do. And now I'm blind for three days. I'm unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> we would complain about it, wouldn't we? Paul left that part out of the story. You know what it would have been like to be blind for three days? And can't see all through an encounter with God. But yet when he recounted the story, he left out the part. I I want you to catch this. I don't know why he left it out, but I have a suggestion. I think that he was so enamored and enraptured that he saw Jesus. He left out the fact that he couldn't see anything else. I'm going to come over here because I don't know if that's how I got it. I said he was so enamored with the fact that he saw Jesus He didn't care that during that time he couldn't see anything else. What if God in this season is trying in our search for clarity, the clarity that we have is all I can see is Jesus. I can't see how it's going to work out in my finances. I can't see how it's going to work out in my marriage. I can't see how it's going to work out in my career. I moved to L.A. I can't see how it's all going to work out. But let me tell you one thing. What I do see is Jesus. I see him in every. He could see nothing but Jesus. So it was okay that he was blind because he had vision. And some of y'all can see so well, but you have no vision. Sometimes I can see so well, but I have no vision. I can see, but I can't see. And, and here's what God does to me. Love you, Lord, but this is what you do to me. You blind me from what I want to see so you can show me what I need to see. Don't he do that? He's so good at that. He'd just be like, shut up. I can't see how anything's going to work out. But in that season, I can see Jesus. And what I'm learning in this season is that if I can see Jesus, I can see. Here's what's interesting is the Bible talks about this a lot in Scripture. It talks about this word darkness. And whenever you see darkness in the Bible, it's, it's hardly ever talking about an actual physical darkness. That word darkness in the Bible, yes, it can mean that all the lights are off and you can't see. But typically in the, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament or the Greek in the Aramaic in the New Testament, it means, yes, physical darkness, but it also means lack of spiritual clarity or confusion. So when you're walking in darkness, you can't see things spiritually, not naturally. See, oftentimes what you see is different than what you should see. 
It's a powerful thing. I think it's so powerful that when I looked at Scripture, the first problem in the Bible was this darkness. Genesis 1 through 3, uh, chapter 1 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was dark, was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Watch this. God created it, and then darkness showed up. Where, where, where did that darkness come from? It didn't come from God. The Bible says God is light, and in him there is no darkness. So then what God created was affected by darkness. God can create you, and you can be affected by darkness. God can create a promise in your life. and dark. So literally the first problem that God solved was darkness. Because it said he saw the darkness, and then he said, let there be light. I love this verse because God didn't even do anything. He just said something. And then darkness had to yield to what he said. This is so cool. You know what? If he was human, he would do what we do. You know, we need to like go, we need to invent the sun, the moon, and the stars, and we, we need to build the lamps plus because it's dark in here. We need to, he, he didn't even do that. He, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars some verses later. He didn't even need to do that first. He said it, and darkness had to shut down. Here is how I know you might be walking in darkness. You're thinking about what you need to do instead of what he said. What do I need to do? No, no, no. God didn't do anything. He said something, and darkness yielded to the word of God. All of a sudden, the whole earth was illuminated with the glorious presence of God. And then it was like, oh, yeah, sun, moon, and stars. That's how your purpose will come to pass. Your life is illuminated with the presence of God. Then he goes, oh, yeah, acting. Oh, yeah, the church. Oh, yeah, marriage. Because now you're in light. Because here's the thing, if he gives you the blessing in, in, in the darkness, you won't see it anyway. You won't. Because some of y'all are complaining about what you used to pray about. Can I tell the truth? Lord, give it to me. As soon as it comes, Lord, take it away. Come on. Can I just be real? You... I can tell you're walking in darkness if you're currently complaining about something you used to beg God to give you. Lord, will you give me my wife? Will you give me my husband? And now all of a sudden, yeah, I'm going to keep going. He said, let there be light. He said, let there be light, and there was. The number one thing to get yourself out of darkness is not a plan. That's not the clarity I'm talking about. It's not a plan. It's the Word. The Word of God is how you can get it. He didn't come up with a plan. He said, let there be light, and then the plan kicked in. See, see, watch this. In, in Psalm 119, verse 130, it says this about the Word of God. The unfolding of your words give light. Do you know that Paul calls Christians, people like me, letters from Christ? I'm a letter from Christ. So when I preach every Sunday, I can give you a word and you can leave here real encouraged, but it doesn't say the preaching of the word gives life. It says the unfolding of the word 
gives light. So I can preach to you and you can be encouraged, but you'll be on, in darkness by Monday. How many people Sunday, woo, you go to church, you hit the brunt spot on Sunday, you're like, yo, Pastor Julian was preaching, woo! And then Monday, that alarm clock go off, and all of a sudden you wish it was Sunday again? Why? Because you're relying too much on me. All I can give you is a letter. It doesn't say the preaching of the Word brings light, the unfolding. So unless you unfold what I preach, you'll still be in darkness. So here's what happens. When I read to you this verse, you got to take it like a letter and you got to unfold that bad boy. And you got to walk with it every single day, Monday, Tuesday. Let the Word of God unfold. So many of y'all are under attack because you got a folded love letter from God sitting on your dresser collecting dust and it's called the Bible. Unfold that bad boy and get some Word in you so you can walk in the light. Oh my God, I am preaching. Paul, God said this, John chapter 9. He, he, he actually did a miracle about somebody's sight that was like a spiritual metaphor. He said this in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus said, it's not because of his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming. The darkness is coming. And then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I'm the light of, of the world. So why did Jesus, God say, let there be light? It's not just because he, liked, he didn't like the darkness. He said let there be light because he can't work under those conditions. And some of us, when we feel like we're in darkness, we get to work instead of get to praying and get to the scriptures and get to the presence. Worst thing you could do is get to the work when you're supposed to be getting to Jesus. I, I'm going to give you an example. Um, uh, I'm not the most handy person, but Ken is going to, you know, I can use a hammer, so I'm good. Anybody else, I can call, you know. And, um, you know, it's a very simple handyman task. And so I'm going to hammer this nail into this piece of wood and... Uh, it's going to go great. Move my thumb out the way, and I feel like you get this. Wait, hold on. Wait, hold on, let me just get this. Oh, yeah, it's going well. But all of a sudden, let's just say the lights get turned off. I can't see. <laughs> so now what became a simple task I could believe that God has called me to hammer these nails into this wood all I want to. But if I'm in darkness, now what becomes simple is complicated, not because what I've been asked to do is so hard, but the condition I'm trying to do it in. All right. So I need y'all to help me out. Can a couple of y'all take out your phones and shine a light? Yeah, I can see a little bit better. It ain't great, but I can see a little bit better. And if you're like me, sometimes I'm on my phone so much 
This is the only light I got access to. Spend all my time on Instagram instead of in the present, so when I need a light, somebody better pull out their phone because, and the light on your phone ain't going to cut it. Sometimes the phone needs to be off and you got to get in the presence. Otherwise, why does God ask you to stop? Not because he doesn't have it for you, but you're going to get hurt trying to do something in the dark. I want you to turn the lights on because this is important for you to understand that when it's dark, instinctively we slow down. You ever had a power outage? You don't be like walking and it's like, where, where the candles at? Let me just. <laughs> nah, man. You ever, I've walked in the dark before. Tell you, man, it's no joke. And I know they say the worst pain is, is, is giving birth, but right under that is stepping on a Lego barefoot. <laughs> right under. Right there. It's like. Right under. I'm not going to lie. But it's dangerous to walk around in the dark. So God is sometimes slowing you down because now the calling is dangerous. The blessing becomes dangerous. It's so many things that are normal to do in the light that are dangerous in the dark. Even some of us grew up. When did we have to be home? Dark. My mom, I used to beg my mom. My mom had a curfew of, a curfew of, of midnight. I was 17, 18 years old. She, I said, I'm 18. She said, you still got to be home as long as you're living in this house. You got to be home by midnight. I said, but mom, I'm an adult. She says, I'm not saying that because you're an adult. I'm saying that because don't nothing good happen after midnight. <laughs> Ain't nothing after midnight a good thing is what she would say. She was saying it's dark and there's no good thing. This is so important for us to understand. It's not just that God doesn't have a calling, have a plan. We can't see. And darkness is not just you can't see. Sometimes darkness comes from what you can see. You're seeing a situation. You're seeing your bank account and you're not seeing God's provision. You're seeing your, your lack. It's one of the worst diseases in the church. Many people in the world are suffering from a terrible disease that I am calling seasickness. Many people in the world are suffering from seasickness. They're, they're becoming sick from what they see. You see something and you, you don't think that God is for you. You see something in your own life and you're seasick. You see something in somebody else's life and now you're, you're walking in unforgiveness. You're seasick. I'm telling you, God wants to cure and heal somebody from their seasickness. Because you cannot do what God has called you to do if you hold what you see over what God says. You are walking in darkness. Well, the word has, we got to remind ourselves of what God says, and here's one of these amazing promises, because the enemy tries to show you stuff that you can see physically, so you get stuff in your heart. I see that they failed me, and now I'm going to walk in unforgiveness. I see that they weren't there for me, but now I'm going to have bitterness. And when you get something in your heart, you can't see God move as much because your heart has too much stuff in it. Matthew 5, verses 8, verse 8 says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. 
If you keep your heart pure from everything the enemy's trying to put in it, whether it's lust, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's bitterness, the Bible promises that you will see God. I want to speak over someone's life that you will see God in your marriage. You will see God. You will. If you keep your heart pure, it's a promise. You will see God. So I don't have to worry about the problem. I have to worry about the purity. Because if I focus too much on the problem, it's going to mess up my purity, and i got to focus on my pure heart, and the problem, God is on the way. He promises you will see God. And, and here's the thing, is, is when I talk about clarity, I'm not talking about that things get more for sure. I'm talking about a spiritual clarity is birthed in uncertainty. You need uncertainty to have faith. Why, do you, why would God give you faith if it's just obvious it's going to happen? Like, don't you need people like faith over fear? No, 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 no. I don't believe that. You need fear to have some faith. Faith is not the opposite of fear. What people do in the face. Daniel was in the lion's den with some lions, and it doesn't say he wasn't afraid. But he had faith. It's not faith. It's not the opposite. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by fear. No, no, no. It says we walk by faith, not by sight. So the opposite of faith what we see. It's what we see. You need uncertainty to have faith. And you might be walking in darkness if your uncertainty is turning to unbelief. Well, now because you're not sure, you don't believe. You ever heard that person that says, I believe it when I see it. <laughs> oh. If you, you'll never see it because you don't believe it. I believe it when I see it. Yep. We'll see. <laughs> you know, I've, I've told so many people so many encouraging things, prophetic word of the Lord, and they go, I hope so. <laughs> Take my prophecy back, man. <laughs> the prophetic is killed with unbelief. So all that happens, if the word of God is alive, powerful, and active, that means it can be in your heart or in a casket. So when you say, I hope so, get your shoulders up. Receive the word in your life. Somebody tells you something's going to happen. I hope so. No, I believe it when I see it. No, you don't. You'll never see it because you don't believe it. And here's the thing. I don't mean that God's not giving it to you. I mean that he did give it to you. But because you're unbelief, you can't see you already got it. And one of the biggest things the enemy wants you to do in 2020 is pray for something you already got. If you believe it, you'll be able to recognize it because everything that God does, he needs you to look at it spiritually. Not just practically. Anybody a practical person? That's great. You better be practically spiritual. Because <laughs> when you're practically out of money, your practicality don't work. Your faith does. It does. Nothing wrong with being practical, but it is absolutely wrong to be practical and unspiritual. Does that make sense? This is so important. Because our uncertainty should be our catalyst 
for faith. Here's what happened when Paul was blinded. He didn't let his eyesight destroy his insight. He didn't let his eyesight destroy his insight. What, what I mean is that eyesight is what I see with my eyes. Insight is what I can see with my faith. And they're different. It's kind of like when you go get a driving test. My, my, my friend Brandon Hunter Davis used this analogy once some years ago. When you go get a driver's test, you like put your hand over, you know, one eye. Right? And they're trying to see what you can see. And then there's the big letters, and they're looking at you. And you notice they don't give you a grade on the big letters, because everybody can see those. You're walking in faith, and you are out of darkness when you can see things that other people can't see. This is what God's trying to do with your faith. He's trying to, you know, you can see the ABC, and you're confident, and you're like, isn't that what happened to us in our faith, the driver's test? A. B, then that second row, C, D. You know, like we just like, we're all confident. And we get them small ones, we start. <laughs> F, <laughs> Q, we start getting the, the letters wrong. Why? Because the letters are becoming smaller. See, you can't see well when you can only see big things. Sometimes you walk in a spiritual darkness because you can only see the big stuff. I can only see the big calling, the big blessing, the big bank account. I can't be grateful for $5 because I want 50000 I heard a question one time, is $50,000 a lot of money? It is till you make it, then it ain't enough. Can I preach? Yeah. You love with your wife. Boy, them date nights with your girlfriend, fire. Be married five years and have two kids. You looking at that person and I, I promise. Crying. You know how many weddings I've done, people do? I, would, I don't know where I would be without you. Three years later. Hmm. It changed real quick, don't it? And often they're the same. Your eyesight has... You got to put on them same spiritual glasses you had on on that wedding day when you put on that white dress and you rented that tux, and you got to get back to, <laughs> I don't know where I would be without you. Your eyesight has just changed. They're the same. And oftentimes they're better than they were. And you're thinking that works. It's, it's, your eyesight is destroying your inside. I want you to stand to your feet because I'm going to speak something over you. Because here's what happens. Listen to what I'm saying. Here's what happens. There's this beautiful verse in Jeremiah um, chapter 1. And uh, Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. And uh, many people say that Jeremiah was a teenager. And um, I can't imagine this challenge for Jeremiah as a teenager. And, and, and Jeremiah is, is going to be called to do something great. And um, Israel during this time was in complete desolation. Everybody was in sin. 
Jerusalem was in rubble, terrible circumstance. It's almost like God knew what Jeremiah was about to walk into because he starts telling him how long ago he knew him. He, he tells Jeremiah, he says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you had this problem, I knew you'd have this problem. Before you had this flaw, I, I knew you would have this flaw. Before you had this issue, I knew you had this issue. Before you had this challenge, I, I knew you would have this challenge. And um, I knew you before your parents knew you. Think about that time where your parents, maybe they were married and they go, hey, you, you think now it's time to have a baby? And they were so joyful. And um, God says, I knew you before that. Maybe you've never met your father. Your father hustled your mom into a night of pleasure and you, your mom got pregnant. And God said, I knew you before that. I knew you before you got rejected. I knew you before you got abandoned. I knew you before that. He tells Jeremiah, I knew you before that. So before he actually asked Jeremiah a question, he's reminding Jeremiah how long ago. You can think of the year you were born. And God says, before that, I decided that I, I had called you. And even though God reminded Jeremiah over that, Jeremiah says in verse 6, Oh, sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. This is what happens when you're in darkness. You, you tell God about your limitations. Sometimes you're in darkness and you act like you're good enough. I, I'm so in grateful for the encouraging meme, you are enough, but no, you're not. Not for this. God would never call you to something that you're enough to do. One of the hardest things to overcome is not just the enemy's lies, but when he tells you the truth, that doesn't matter. Sometimes the enemy will tell you you're not enough, and it's true, but it doesn't matter. I'm not enough to pastor a church. It's true, but it don't matter. God's going to do it anyway. And I know that Jeremiah was telling the truth because God responds to Jeremiah and he says, don't say that. He doesn't say, you're not too young. It's almost like God was saying, yeah, you are too young. Just don't say that because I'm going to do it anyway. You're too old to be thinking about that show and thinking about that thing. And God, God ain't telling you, you're not too old. Yeah, you are. You old. I just turned 43. I'm old. He's just saying, don't say that. Because God began our faith with a man named Abraham who was too old to have a baby. And he waited until he was too old so everybody would know it was him. It was God. Literally, it was God. He was like a hundred. It was God. So God will wait until everybody says, no way, and then he says, yes way. So he doesn't tell Jeremiah, you're not too young. He just says, don't say that. And then he says, some nations you will build up and some nations you will tear down. And I thought when I first read that he was calling Jeremiah to construction, and he was, but not with a hammer, with his words and with God's presence. And then he says something powerful to Jeremiah. In the middle 
You guys, Jerusalem is complete in complete destruction. And God goes to Jeremiah, asks him this question. He says in verse 11, look, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah looks in a situation where everything is in complete destruction. All of Israel is in sin. And Jeremiah goes, I think I see a branch of an almond tree. I don't even see an almond. I just, yeah, that looks like a branch. And God tells him in the next line, you see well, I'm getting ready to do what I said I would do. I would have thought in this moment that God would say, that's not enough. You got to see restoration. You got to see healing. You got to see provision. You got to see, you got to see it all. You got to see it big. You got to see your future. You got to see the call. You got to see the whole entertainment industry coming to the Lord. But no, 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 no. God said Jeremiah had good vision because all he could see is one thing, just a small thing. No money. Everybody's in sin. And he said, I don't even see an almond. I see something that might make an almond. And because he saw something that could produce an almond, God's not asking you to see big stuff. He's asking you to see small stuff. And some darkness is like the one I've had for a long time where all I can see is God doing something big. I can't see the small stuff anymore. I can't see the small stuff in my family. I can't. Worried about the church growing? Yesterday, my son took his first piano lesson, and he played one note. This dude played one note. He's just sitting there like, ding, 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 ding. I get home. I'm like, son, I heard you did so, so good on the piano today. You know what he said? Because my wife, Christina, sent me the video. He said, yeah, I did. You see the video? <laughs> and pointed at me. This dude, little guy, hit one note. Ding, ding, ding. And went to his father and said, did you see it? Some of y'all want to do it so big for God so you can say, Dad, are you proud? I'm preaching. I'm all over the world. I booked the audition. Dad, are you proud? Sometimes God wants you to just hit one note and say, did you see it? Look, I came to church. I, I didn't memorize the Bible, but I read one verse this week. Dad, did you see it? Some of us are blind because all we can see is big things. Big things. Big things. God told Jeremiah, what do you see? I never would have thought that my eyesight would partner with God's provision. Because he said, you see well, I'm getting ready to do it. What if that prayer you've been praying about for 20 years is not happening because God's asking you, what can you see? And you go, 
What, what if that prayer is not being answered because you look in the mirror and God says, what do you see? And you go, nothing. I want you to close your eyes. Because God's going to show you something. It ain't going to be big. You're not going to be preaching at no conference. You're just going to be helping somebody walk across the street. You're just going to be doing something you thought wasn't a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And God wants you to get to the place that my son was where he can hit one note and he wants me to see it. That's what God wants from you. That's a real daughter. That's a real son. They're excited about the little things. 